0: Thank mm-hmm. you. What is going on, you guys? Welcome back to episode 15 of MacBook Pro. Got your boy Macklin here. Just want to say thank you for tuning in. Really happy to have you here. And today's episode, it's going to be mostly focused on dating. And, uh, you know, I have some observations that I've made over the years of being in relationships and going on dates, and I just think that I've learned some stuff. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to share some insights. So the first thing that I wanted to say is that in dating, I think the name of the game is honest and open communication about everything. Now, I, I did I did see something the other day online. It was um a relationship therapist talking about, you know, healthy attachment styles. And one of the things that she was talking about is like when people that did not have I guess people that had traumatic childhoods which I would imagine a lot of us did when people have like traumatic childhoods and maybe they're raised by people that um, have a non-traditional way of showing love so either they're divorced and there's a stepdad that comes into the to this to the mix at some point or the parents are divorced and um, there's you know no step no step parents it could be being raised by a single father, a single mother, um, you know, having multiple step parents, whatever it is. And based on how the the parent actually shows the child what it means to love, it can actually shape the child later on in life in uh, in a way that they might not even realize that they're being impacted. And one of the ways that this can happen is that you know if you're the kind of person who never really like learned or there was a different way of showing love in the household you might come into relationships like super fast just you know skip all of the get to knows and you know be like in a relationship with someone within five dates ten dates whatever it is you're already sharing everything about yourself you, you know, you're talking about your family a lot, you're talking about what you want. And of course there is a healthy amount of honest and open communication that's necessary. But I think that there's also, you know, when you take it one step further and you share everything, it's almost like, this is me, here I am, take me as I am. And it can be a sign that someone is not, you know, someone has not been raised uh, in in a, a more traditional way um but more of like a sign of childhood trauma is how it was um, phrased by this relationship therapist it's just an unhealthy attachment style that she was talking about but the reason that I bring this up is like i think that there needs to be a really good balance between being honest being open sharing what you want you know sharing past experiences if you're asked about them but also having like a healthy level of skepticism and, and, um, you know, a little bit of hesitation, right? Because there have been a lot of relationships in the past that I've gone into. And most, I would say most of my relationships don't last past six months continuously. They've ended at the six month mark. And then either we've continued or we've just ended. And I think the reason for that is, I mean, if I'm looking back on it, there's such a good feeling. At least I think it's such a good feeling when you meet somebody and you feel like you can be your full self with them. It's so nice, especially in the beginning, right? Like, you know, you've just met somebody and you feel like you just have this like amazing emotional connection and, you know, things are going super well but and there's always a but it can be a little bit deceiving because you might not notice certain things like maybe you you don't realize because you're so infatuated you don't realize that like you're not establishing healthy boundaries and you're not communicating your needs and you're not saying you know the way that things make you feel and that can eventually come back to bite you and I think that that's like what's actually happened in a lot of cases with me I've been in relationships where in the very beginning it was like incredible so happy to be with that person yeah any of my friends will say this as well you know it's like I'm just you know the first one to to be super pumped about it to say that maybe it could go the distance I've said that before and and I'm rolling my eyes as I'm saying it because I think, like looking back, I just had the approach all wrong. So, a lot of people say that they want to find the person that completes them. I think it's just like a common um, idea that we have in society where we're talking about fairy tale endings and, you know, we're flawed and there's someone out there who makes us feel like we're the perfect person ourselves. But I really don't think that that's a realistic or healthy way about finding somebody. In a lot of ways, I think the healthiest way of finding someone is keeping an open mind, taking things slowly, figuring out what you really want before you even start dating, which is something that I've been doing a lot recently, just actually you know, writing out for myself what I'm looking for in the next person. And I talked about this in an earlier episode where I was saying, like Joe Dispenza, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza was talking about, you know, if you're going to try to find love, you should list all the things that you want in the other person and then become that person yourself. And it's something that I've been trying to do too. I just really want to be a better version of myself. And I don't want to ever feel like there's someone out there who completes me. I wouldn't mind somebody complimenting me, you know, being like, maybe they have their own style and and they're able to help me show up in a different way. Maybe they're much more spontaneous. Maybe they are, I don't know, maybe they have a different outlook on the world and they help me see the world differently. But that's not completing someone, right? That's just, you know, someone just really vibing with you well and helping you see the world in a different way and, you know, being more of like a life partner and less of like a therapist. And that's like what I don't want in any relationship is to feel like the other person is like my support network, like the shoulder that I have to always like lean on. I think it's really beautiful to have that in another person, but like they need to also be able to live their own lives and not I don't want it to ever feel like I'm like I like I'm the focus of the relationship. Because I think that, that happens a lot in relationships when there's codependence and like one person maybe gets a lot of support from the other person, but maybe they're not as good at giving it back. I think it really needs to be balanced, it needs to be open, it needs to be honest, and to do that, I think it's really about just like in the beginning, taking it slow, figuring out what you want, making sure that the other person also wants the same thing, at least generally speaking, right? Like if one person says, I want to be in a long-term relationship and the other person says, I'm polyamorous and I want, I want to have four husbands, there could be a mismatch there. I, I'm not going to say that there necessarily will be, it's not my place, but um, it's just important to really know that. And of course, there are certain conversations that I do not think are necessary to have right away. That's one of them. I don't think that that's necessary to have. I think it's just more about like understanding the other person, really seeing if you get along well. It's not about having a checklist and saying, oh, this person fulfills this criteria. Now they have a 60%, you know, score in my book. And you're constantly like, you know, raising and dropping that number based on the things that they say. I think that that's a really shallow way of dating. So um, one of the, one of the quotes that I came across recently was um, the quality of your life is measured by the number of difficult conversations that you're able to have. And I don't know if that's exactly how the quote was said, but that pretty much sums it up. And it was in one of Tim Ferriss's books where he's, you know, interviewing the greats, And that was one of the quotes that they had. And I really believe it because I think like in relationships and in dating, it's a risk. It's a really big risk to go on dates and to be in a relationship. I mean, feelings get hurt. Hearts are broken. You know, people have fights. There's a lot of pain that can happen. But I think that there is a certain level of honesty and openness that's needed So that you can be fair to the other person because that's ultimately what, what they deserve, right? If you're going on dates with somebody, it doesn't matter if you've gone on one date with them or if you're, you know, six months in like common human courtesy should be exercised. I think they're, you know, because they're, they're a human being just like you putting themselves out there. So Anyway, the reason that I bring this up is like in the very beginning of, you know, seeing someone else, if you have the rose-tinted glasses on and you ignore a lot of things that are in front of you, they could come back to bite you and, you know, you need to be realistic with yourself. And it's funny that I'm the one saying this now because if I think back to like almost any relationship that I've had, I've definitely been, you know, like very enthusiastic about my relationships. But I heard, I heard a quote from, um, from a Russian, uh, a Russian girl when I was like 16 years old, she wasn't a girl. She was like in her early twenties. So she was a Russian woman, but I had a huge crush on her. And, um, and I told her I was, I mean, I was 16. I was such a fucking dweeb. And I said like, Oh my God, I have such a crush on you. And she was like, you're just like all American guys. American guys, they fall in love so quickly, but then they fall out of love just as fast. Russian guys take a long time to fall in love, but once they're in love, they stay in love. Now, I don't know if that's even culturally aligned with Russia. I have no idea. But I think as far as the American side, I mean, we invented the Hallmark Channel, right? We, I think we invented the greeting cards. You know, we just have a problem in in U.S. culture with understanding the nuances of love i think we're we're very good at the honeymoon phase and we're really bad at the maintenance phase when you i think if i understand correctly i think that there's like um a chemical switch that happens after the honeymoon phase where uh, your body produces oxytocin which is the love hormone if i'm not mistaken and i'm pretty sure it's during that phase that a lot of people fall out of love because you know it's no longer maybe as exciting but it's still really important that you find somebody that makes you feel like you're a better version of yourself and someone that really brings out those sides of you again it's not about completing you but it's about complimenting you and making you feel like you're just like a superhuman kind of like a better version of yourself and sorry i i'm uh I have like indigestion because I ate my dinner pretty fast. But um, the other day I was on the phone with my mom and my mom and I pretty much have these unofficial podcasts all the time. Like we'll talk on the phone for like an hour or an hour and a half. And it's almost every single day. It's like right around, you know, seven o'clock at night. And um, she told me that she was watching a talk online think that's what it was. Maybe she was listening to a podcast and the speaker said, don't, don't date to marry, marry to date. And I thought about that for a really long time. It's been about a week now and I've just thought about it a few times a day. I'm going to say it again. Don't date to marry, marry to date. I think what it means, I don't really know, honestly, but I think what it means is find somebody who makes you feel excited and and energetic and enthusiastic and, you know, somebody that you really could see yourself with in the long term, somebody who's like, like a sustainable presence in your life. And what I mean by that is when you're dating, there's so many different considerations about you know when you're um, meeting people right like there's so many different things that you could focus on some people focus on looks some people focus on personality more sometimes you focus on their interests and your shared interests more specifically maybe you focus on the bad things like i know a lot of people that run away the minute that they hear something that's you know quote unquote scary but at least like how I see it now, I'm I'm 29 years old. I'm a, a lot different than I was when I was 22 and dating. How I, how I look at it now is like, I just try to stay as open-minded about everything as I can be. I don't let that voice come into my head where it's like, you know, what if, what if, what if. Uh, I also don't let the voice come into my head where, you know, I'm only focusing on the things that are not great. And, and when I say not great, I mean like, maybe things that I don't really... You know, value as much. Like if if I'm having a conversation with someone, and it's very obvious that we have complete different interests. Um, you know, that might not be ideal for me if they're like super into. Uh, I don't know, super into. Like, I'm about to just say some weird shit. Like if they're super into like um, science and I'm not into science at all in the past, that would have definitely like not been ideal and probably would have been something where I would have been like, ugh, because I just don't like science. (laughs) But even religion is another good one. Like in the past, like if I met somebody that was super religious, like when I was a lot younger, it was definitely a huge turnoff. But now I actually think it's really beautiful when someone's religious or when someone's not, right? It's just cool to understand them more and and to just keep an open mind and be curious and just that's the whole thing. It's it's all about curiosity. I don't I don't want to come in with judgment. I don't want to be like the person that's constantly looking for something wrong. Because if there's one thing that I've learned over the past six months, maybe even longer, it's just that when you start to notice things, notice problems in other people, a lot of the time you're actually noticing problems around about yourself that you're not privy to, you know, like when you're angry at someone, maybe you're actually just angry at yourself. And that happens so often. So often I'll be in a bad mood about something and I'll think, why am I actually upset about this? And then if I like really, like if I meditate or I really try to focus on, you know, why I feel that way, I'll be able to trace it back to something that happened to me earlier in the day or, you know, something that's been on my mind recently. And so I think it's, it's just important to watch the, like, what is it? Watch the thinker, observe the thinker. When your thoughts come in, it's really easy to not be aware of them. But once you do learn how to be aware of thoughts that are coming in and you catch them, it just makes it so much better, um, you know, to to actually get to the root of things and to fully understand, you know, yourself more and why you why you feel the way that you do. So rather than like judging people and like looking for these things, now I'm just like very curious and I'm always like trying to understand, you know, where someone's coming from and why they why they think the way that they do and why they do the things that they do. Um now establishing boundaries I think is like one of uh the hardest things to do because in the very beginning of a relationship, if you're like me, you're really happy in the beginning of a relationship. That's like the honeymoon phase where everyone's super pumped and you just you know, the other person could literally do something that like is a pet peeve of yours and you wouldn't even notice most likely if you're really into them. And then later on those same things, you know, because you've, you haven't said anything, those same things, if they continue to do them, they get on your nerves and, you know, you've been stuffing it down for so long that eventually one day you erupt. And you see that in sitcoms and movies all the time, um, where the couples have, have a fight after, you know, after the honeymoon phase is over. So yeah, um, don't date to marry, marry to date. I still don't really know what that means, but I like it. I feel like I kind of get it. And um, that's definitely the way that I'm seeing it a lot more these days. The other thing too is like the other day I was at a a museum and uh, there was this couple that wanted me to take a photo of them. There was like this live exhibit, um, and there it was a live exhibit with a couch in in a living room set. Like there was like a a little um, living room in this like large room. I don't know. It was really bizarre. I don't even know how to put it. It was supposed to be like a recreation, I guess, or recreation of the nineteen. 19- 60s, maybe the 1950s in Germany. And so there 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 was this couch, and this couple asked me to take a photo of them, and they were in their 80s. I would imagine maybe their late 70s. And they were just so cute. They just like they asked me, they're like, Entschuldigung, and I immediately thought I was getting in trouble. And uh they were like, Can you take a photo of us? And I was like, uh yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, these two people have found each other and they're still going on dates. They're at the museum and they're in their seventies and they still look like they look like they should have been doing what, what, what people my age do when they go on dates, right? Like they, they want to take photos together. They want to remember the times together. They do silly stuff like sitting on the couch and asking somebody to take a photo of them so that they can show this silly photo of them in a museum. But looking like it's a living room in the 1950s, I don't know, kind of fucking weird. Yeah, sure the exhibit, not them. And it would be cool to just find somebody like that. And so um, if you're listening to this, no, I'm just joking. But anyway, um, th- the reason that I bring all of this up is that so much of dating is, is like, I think so much of dating is like similar to starting a business in a lot of ways. And um, before you start, you know, shitting on me for saying that I will explain When you start your first business, a lot of people will say that, you know, they make mistakes and that they, they kind of suffer from the mistakes that they make, but they use those lessons later on. So somebody who's a serial entrepreneur who has started a few businesses, they'll avoid some of the earlier mistakes that they made because they've already made them and they can learn from them. And they usually apply a level of distance and objectivity that allows them to see things pretty clearly, right? It's business that's what they say it's business but it's a little bit different when people go through relationships which i think is very interesting when entrepreneurs talk about businesses they're able to say very objectively where things went wrong but when they you know when people talk about what what went wrong in relationships they're very quick to point the finger at the other person and say well it was because of them That this happened, I would have never done this. If this hadn't happened, you know, I couldn't even live with them. And I've definitely done this in the past as well. And this has definitely been one of the biggest changes. And I mentioned this in a past episode, but I don't really blame the other people anymore, you know, because for me at least, I'm super grateful for the relationships that I've had. And every single person that I've been in a relationship with. Mostly, I was just thinking about one person in particular. Um, Every single person that I've been in a relationship with really took my needs and interests and put them first and really made sure that I was happy. And they are all good people, all of them. I wish them the best. And um, I'm ready to finally start applying lessons, like emotional lessons to my life so that I can avoid making these same mistakes because it's easy to learn from lessons that don't hurt uh, emotionally. But once your ego is on the line and it's, you know, desperately holding on trying to survive, it makes it very difficult to be honest with yourself. And so like something that I always encourage people to do if they have, you know, if they have the time and the, you know, the, the will to do it is to just think about, you know, past relationships past interpersonal conflicts that they've had whether it's with a partner with a friend a, a manager you know whatever it is and just try to understand you know how things reached the point that they did because if you're really honest with yourself you'll start to realize that there's a pattern in a lot of in a lot of these things and the pattern is that you are involved in all of them and uh it's important to really you know take accountability for some of the things that you've said and done. Because we do things all the time that we're not proud of. It's a really shitty feeling when you look back on something and you wish you hadn't said or done something. But once it's said or done, it's just out there. And it's unfortunate because, you know, if you could take it back, you probably would in most cases. I know I would with a lot of the things that I've done and said, but you can't. And um, so much You know, so much wasted effort goes into thinking about what you could have, would have, or should have done. And the reason that I always, you know, say this to to friends or um, anybody that I talk to about this, that it's important to like review these things. It's It's not about, you know, making yourself feel bad about things. It's about understanding what you could do differently so that in the future, if you face a similar problem or similar circumstance, you remember what it felt like, you know, to have that feeling. And hopefully you do things a little bit differently. so that is pretty much almost everything that I have to say about dating right now, almost um, but it's you know what what was on my mind. and I think like one day I'm going to uh, have a have a conversation with my own kids about this because I, I think that there's just so much value as a parent, being able to have these conversations um, with your children and just share that, you know, you're not perfect either. You don't expect your children to be, um, so that they understand, you know, like what love really looks like. It's not perfect. It's messy. It's painful, but it's worth it, right? If you find somebody that you really love and you want to spend your life with, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know you just gotta be open and honest i I was watching a podcast like I was listening to a podcast that has video unlike my podcast the other day and um I think the the guy's name is Derek Wolf he's a former American football player, and he was talking about how you know his entire childhood he he was abused his mom was addicted to to drugs and She was in, you know, very abusive relationships with men. And, um, you know, he he grew up around that. And he had a lot of, like, really bad stuff happen to him as a kid. But he said he didn't know what unconditional love felt like until he had a daughter. And now, you know, he gives his daughter, like, every part of his heart, you know. And, And he's married as well. So I think it's just, it's really a testament to... Know how somebody can learn something that for a lot of people comes naturally, but you can learn it. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. I know a lot of people that are frustrated in dating, a lot of people that are angry about the world, you know, people that say that there's no no good people out there, that men don't care about women, that women don't care about men. I really just think it's a matter of finding people that, you know, see eye to eye with you and you know, share your philosophies. I think in a perfect world, I would find someone that (laughs) in a, in a, in a perfect world, I would find somebody that likes to have really long philosophical debates, but then also likes to take action on those things so that it's not just like, you know, being a, a daydreamer, but also actually being pragmatic I just think that's a really cool concept, you know, to date like a female philosopher. That'd be pretty cool. But anyway, um, yeah, that's that's a little bit about what was on my mind on that. And uh, yeah, now I just want to share some really random stories that come to my mind. So um, one of the first things that I wanted to say, and this now has nothing to do with the first topic. So if you came here for the dating, that's it. There's probably not going to be too much more about dating in this episode. So uh, yeah, I'll see you later if that's why you came here. But if you came here because you just like me and you want to hear some random shit that happened to me, I'm about to tell you some random shit. So when I was in first grade, I had a teacher. Her name was Miss... I'm not, my mom says I'm not allowed to say people's names on the podcast anymore. So I I have to censor myself. Her name was Miss I. Her last name began with an I. She was probably 23 years old, maybe 24 when she was my teacher. She was blonde. She was in incredible shape. She was so beautiful. And (laughs) she dressed up as Britney Spears for Halloween in um, uh, I forget what song it is. Uh One More Time, maybe? Where she's dressed as like a uh a schoolgirl with like the plaid and the top that's tied, like Daisy Duke style. I think that's how it is, and like a short skirt. Anyway, so my teacher dresses up like that in first grade. And I've never in my entire life thought that I was gay. Not for one second. Because from the time that I was like four years old, I've just like always had crushes on girls. But when I was, I think I was like, I had just turned six in first grade. I immediately went from like having crushes on girls my own age to having crushes on women. And I don't think I ever really went back. Like there were definitely some girls that I had a crush on that were my age. But if I ever had a choice, like, I mean, I didn't have a choice. I was like a little fucking dweeb. But if I had had a choice where it was like, I could either go on a date with a girl that was also my age or go on a date with a woman that was like 25, nine out of 10 times, maybe 10 out of 10 times, I would have said, yeah, the the older, the older lady. And um, somehow she gets away with wearing like the most erotic outfit ever to school. And I was like, I just couldn't speak that day. I just remember being like so in my head the entire day. i just like, I mean, I couldn't really speak anyway. I had a, an Oklahoma accent and a speech impediment and no one could understand me. Like they had me in speech therapy. Nobody understood a word that I said, but on that day I was, people were able to understand me even less than before. And, um, yeah, I fell in love with her that day. And then it must've been like later on in the school year. I remember the door to the classroom was closing and I went to go like, try to, you know, push it open before it closed. And my finger got caught in the door and I pulled my finger out of the door and I was like crying and Mrs. I beep, uh, grabbed my hand and kissed my finger while making eye contact with me. Now I was in first grade, so maybe she didn't make eye contact with me. Maybe it wasn't as sexual of a moment as i remember it being but that was when i think i i lost my virginity at least on like an emotional level it was the craziest shit i was never the same after that moment and um yeah oh my god we we moved school districts when i was in third grade and i remember i told her because i saw her in the hallway and i was like i'm i'm leaving the school i'm going to a new school and my heart was broken Felt like I missed out. But actually, um, the new school I went to, it was the middle of third grade. And so, for half of a year, I had a teacher that was not hot, no offense to her, very nice lady, but she was already in her like 50s or 60s. I re- that was a little too old for me at the time. Um, and it still is. I just want to put that out there. But uh, the next year, I had this teacher that, oh my gosh, I was in love with her. I think I've fallen in love with like eight teachers over the years. Um but that was just like incredible uh having her as a teacher in fourth grade when I had her as a teacher in fourth grade I um I was always doing it was the beginning of me always doing weird shit like I like I became a class clown but I also became like a 90s Dennis the Menace like, um, Richie Rich, like, like just like a, a a classic archetype of a 90s families movie, like a, a 90s family film or something where like, I just did weird shit. Like I'll give you an example. I used to have this like stuffed animal monkey that had the Velcro hands. So like when you put the hands together, they stuck and you could like, you know, have the monkey wrapped around your neck or whatever. You could put the monkey, and hang it from a chair. I don't know. I mean, just do whatever you wanted. It's fucking sick. So I would like bring that monkey in all the time. And then I guess like I was too disruptive in class. She took the monkey and she put it in her desk and said I would get it back at the end of the year. Another day, I found a recorder. It was just, you know, like one of it was kind of like my recorder that I used to record this podcast. Um, but it was like a legit, you know cassette recorder that you would you know put a tape into and have batteries on the back so really kind of similar to this i just don't have the cassette yeah and i used to bring that to school and pretend that i was a reporter at least that's what i thought i was doing i was probably just shoving it into people's faces hitting record and saying like talk talk but yeah she took that away from me too by the end of the school year i remember um she emptied her desk and she gave me back all my shit. it was like I was a prisoner, you know, and I was getting out of jail and like I was getting my clothes back and like all the shit that I had on me when they arrested me. She gave me back like six different things. She's like, here's your monkey. Here's your recorder. Here's a pen that you were throwing. Here's this, here's that, here's this. I was like, oh my God, I forgot about all these things. But yeah, I got them back, thank God. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I always did bizarre shit for, for reasons that I still don't really understand. I ran for, um, I think I might have mentioned this, but I ran for class secretary when I was in fourth grade, even though I had like a tremendous fear of public speaking. And the year before that, like when I had first moved to Amagansett school, I was in a talent show and I danced. And, uh, I, again, I've probably mentioned this before, but I danced to a Nelly Furtada song like a bird. I did, I did a, an improvised freestyle, a freestyle dance. And I didn't just like I do now. I didn't prepare at all. I just went in and, uh, and I just tried to make the most of it. And, uh, it failed miserably. It was the first year that they were using DVDs in the cameras. So there are definitely DVDs out there. And, uh, Yeah, that was, that was a scarring experience. So it's kind of surprising that the next year, even though I was bullied about like people teased me about that for like four or five years, I thought it was going to follow me into high school. I was really surprised it didn't, but, um, I, yeah, I ran for a class secretary. I won. And then I never went to a single meeting because I found out that the meetings were during recess and I didn't want to miss recess. So they actually removed me from the position. I got impeached. And uh, you know I always did. I always did stuff like that. Where it was like. I was just so impulsive. Another example is in 7th grade. For some reason. I I signed up for the geography B. Maybe it was 8th grade. Um, the geography B was like the spelling B. Um, and. I remember there was a test that they had us all do, and if you pass the test, then they, then you would be in the Geography B. So I was in the Geography B. It was me, a really smart, like nerdy kid that was also in eighth grade, and then a couple of other kids. I don't even know if it was all eighth graders or if it was like, you know, a mix of eighth, seventh, sixth, but yeah, I get up there. I'm, you know, like the night before the geography B, I hadn't studied at all. I didn't know any geography. I'd never left the country. I'd barely traveled. I didn't know where like any states were. I didn't know where any countries were on a map. And, you know, still not too far away from where I'm at now. I haven't really made too much progress. And I have an atlas that I'm sitting down on the couch while watching TV, trying to memorize where places are. And I just remember I'm on like the most random page. I'm looking at like, I don't know, countries in like countries in Southeast Asia, but I had no idea where any of them were. Like, I didn't even know what I was reading. I was just looking at the maps, trying to like remember where things were. And I probably did that for like 15 minutes. I closed the book. It was a huge atlas. I closed it and I went to sleep. The next day we had the geography B, And I remember like the first question they asked, I got wrong. <laughs> It was like, where are the Great Bear Lakes? I was like, what? That's not in my atlas. I didn't see that. I got it wrong. The next question, whatever it was, I got it wrong. Immediately, even though kids were cheering for me, that was always one thing that happened that was really funny. It's like, I would be bullied individually by kids, but when I was like on stage doing something, I would always have kids cheer me on. It was almost like they hated me, but they didn't hate me enough to, to boo me. They were like, they would egg me on or cheer me on whatever, however you want to see it. So I remember they were in the crowd they're like, yeah, Frankie. Yeah. And uh, just so you know, Frankie is my middle name. It's what I used to go by up until the time I was 17. Macklin is my first name, like on my birth certificate, my passport, it's Macklin Frank Buckler. But yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I lost that immediately. So that was fun. In uh, in ninth grade, our teacher asked, our social studies teacher asked us if anybody in the class was interested in going to China. Nobody's hand went up. I looked around. Finally, a hand went up. The teacher called on her. She goes, yes, Sarah. By the way, that was not her real name. That was me coming up with a fake one so I don't get in trouble. Yes, Sarah. Sarah goes can we go to the Bahamas? She's like, no, no, what? No, this is a, (sighs) she looks at her like you fucking idiot. No, this is a immersion program for Mandarin. And at the end of the program, you'll go to China. So I finally raised my hand and I was like, okay, can I go? And she's like, yeah, see me after class. So I was the only kid that signed up. And then after class, um, you know, she, she walks me through the program a little bit more. Turns out the program was sponsored by the NSA, which is really funny. So it was funded by like the arm of the government that is focused on international security or I guess national security, I should say. But this was specifically focused on relations with um, our opponents, if you want to call them that, our political adversaries. So yeah, um, it was called like the star program and it was taught through the China Institute in New York. And, the uh, you know, class itself was at Dalton in New-, in New York city. It was seven hours, um, every single day during the summer. Well, Monday through Friday, seven hours a day. So I would get onto the bus at five o'clock in the morning. I would get to the city at like nine o'clock in the morning. And then I would, um, start the class we would have a lunch break and then by the end of the day it was like you know dance and you know uh calligraphy so calligraphy with like uh the rice paper and the long pens writing characters and mandarin and uh and then i would go home And I would usually get home around like seven o'clock at night. Sometimes it was like eight o'clock at night. So I was was traveling. I was going places. It was crazy. You know, first I was, you know, when I was in first grade, I'm falling in love with, you know, 20-year-old women that never went away, Uh, 25-year-old women, I should say, or 23-year-old my teacher was. And then as like a ninth grader, I'm going into Manhattan on a bus every single morning over the summer. Just chatting with random people that are sitting next to me, hitting on women that are in their thirties, they have no idea how old I am and they they know I'm a child, but you know, like I'm just so confident, like sitting down next to them and chatting with them. I got so many random phone numbers that summer from women that were in their like late twenties and early thirties that just did it as a courtesy, probably like you know he's a nice kid i'll just I'll give it to him because if I don't give him my real number, he'll find out and he'll probably see me on the bus again and be like, why the fuck didn't you give me your real number? (laughs) I'm just joking. I would have never done that. Um, So anyway, um, yeah, so that entire summer and I was like meeting, you know, business people and stuff on the bus. I was always that person for no reason, like on airplanes and buses, I would talk to the people next to me. Probably really an annoying trait to have um, for the receivers of that. Now there are AirPods, thank God, but back then, you know, people didn't really listen to too much music, uh, so yeah, they they were susceptible to my persuasion. All right, so um, yeah, I'm ninth grade, I did that, and then during the school year, they had a continuation of the program, so I would get on the bus at 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning, it was like 5.30 in the morning, okay, sorry, 5.30 in the morning, On a Saturday morning, I would get into the city, take this Mandarin class, and then come home again. And then on Monday, I would go to Spanish class. And it was the stupidest shit because I was barely able to do anything in Mandarin. And then I was barely able to do anything in Spanish because I was like, you know, (laughs) half-ass studying both languages. And eventually... I think when I was in 10th grade or 11th grade, my school um, calls me into the principal's office and they say, we're going to start a Mandarin program at East Hampton. And my first thought was, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, You know, I was excited to hear more. They're like, yeah, we're going to buy a CD and you're just going to go into the library and learn Mandarin by yourself after school i think that's what it was i'm pretty sure it was an after school program or maybe it would have been like in a sub like as a substitute to to spanish class but it was going to be like me by myself maybe like two other kids or something would have joined i don't know and that was their suggestion i was like uh what are you fucking stupid i'm in a classroom for seven hours a fucking day And you're going to send me into a library. Like I have four teachers that walk us through all of these different applications of Mandarin. Um, they, they, They give us challenges where we have to go to Chinatown and get around only using Mandarin, which is pretty cool. Actually, we did get cursed at a lot by Chinese people that were not happy with us because they probably thought we were making fun of their language because we're all just like, I mean, a lot of us were just like little white kids trying to speak Mandarin. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they really try to teach us. And then my school's half-assed effort was like, yeah, we're going to get you a CD. It's like, what the fuck is this shit? No, thank you. I don't think I ended up doing it. I'm pretty sure I just went back to Spanish. Um, so yeah. And then I guess like a, a more recent example of some random shit that I did that I didn't even think twice about before saying yes in college there was a boxing match and it was uh it was between fraternities so it was like you know it was called greek fight night and what what you would do is your fraternity would pre- uh would present you as like their fighter you could choose you know a few different people from your fraternity but i was the only one in my fraternity that did it they would present you and then you would fight somebody who was your weight class. And they told us like a few weeks before the fight who, who we were going to fight. And I remember it was like this kid that was a little bit taller than me, actually like quite a bit taller than me. Um, but I didn't know him. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, I remember like going into this fight, just thinking, Hmm, I signed up for this. All right, whatever. I'm going to do it. Uh, I trained a little bit for it. I stopped drinking. I definitely took things a lot more seriously. And, you know, the day of it, just like with the Geography B, just like, you know, with the uh, the talent show and um, signing up for the, uh, you know, signing up for uh, whatever you call it, um, school office, class, secretary, whatever you... It, I just felt like I'm the kind of person I make my bed and I just deal with the consequences of it. And, uh, that's what I did. So I showed up and it was a, it was a crazy time. I, I won't go into the details cause I think I have gone into it before, but, um, you know, I think that's like the fun thing about life is that if you just say yes to things without really thinking about it, like if you don't overthink it, you just have so many cool stories to tell. So many random things that, you know, I, that I did that I probably would have not done if I'd thought about it for even two seconds longer. Um, so yeah, that was, that was an exploration of my, of my childhood right there and all the, all the random shit that I did. I do also want to just tell another really quick story because I think, um, you know, when you're a kid and you're you're growing up, your perspective of adults is so different from how adults really are. Like when you become an adult, you realize how little adults have figured out and that everybody is really trying to, you know, do something with their lives. And a lot of people never figure it out, no matter how old they get. You know, age is not necessarily a determiner or determinant of success or of stability you can be ninety years old and ninety years old and still be an idiot. Well, in seventh grade, we had career day, and I remember we had a few police officers that came to the school, and me and my um, friend from elementary school, uh, we got paired up with the police officers, and it was the it was the dream. Everybody wanted to go with the police officers, but yeah, I got chosen. No big deal. And uh, the beginning of the of the day was amazing because we went to the um, police station in the East Hampton village. And for reasons that I still do not understand to this day, we have a SWAT van in East Hampton village. It's an armored van. Like when you think of a SWAT vehicle, it's like this, I think it was black, like a black SWAT van. It had machine guns. They have like, they have a room with all of these machine guns they have grenades they have you know the the bulletproof helmets or the combat helmets whatever they are they have bulletproof vests they have the battering rams you know they have so much shit and we got a tour of the van and you know inside the van was just all of these weapons i was like what the fuck why are these in the hamptons like who are these weapons meant to be protecting the police from like you know, celebrities that come out to the Hamptons. Like, what the fuck are they doing with these grenades and shit? But it was still really cool. And uh, there's a photo of me floating out there somewhere. I actually have it on my phone. Of me in seventh grade, wearing a bulletproof vest, a combat helmet, um, holding a machine gun. And my friend is next to me, also holding a machine gun. And... uh that was fucking sick. It was like the highlight, one of the highlights of seventh grade for sure. And um, man, that was just such a fucking bizarre story. That just like scrambled my brain for a second. I actually had no idea where I was for a second. But anyway, what happened with that day was like later in the day, they split us up. Uh, one of us went with one of the police officers and the other one went with the detectives. So before we got split up, uh, we were with this one police officer guy, and he was um, waiting for cars that he could catch um, speeding, right? So he was waiting with his car parked behind a tree, and I remember we pulled over this truck, and the police officer that we're with, we'll call him, let's just call him Tony, okay? Because I'm making up names today. So Tony, Officer Tony. Um, gets out of his car because he's, you know, pulling over this truck. So he gets out of the police car and he's walking up to the driver's side door and the guy in the truck starts to open his door and Tony pulls his, like pulls his gun. You know, he's like, he's got his hand on his gun and he's just like screaming at this guy, stay in the truck. Put your hands where I can see him. And so the guy, uh, there's a microphone in the car so we can hear shit that's going on and the guy says, uh, like, hey, I'm a police officer, and Officer Tony's like, I don't give a fuck, and, um, you know, asks him to see his license, the guy gives him his license, you know, Officer Tony's just screaming at him, you know, you should know better, don't fucking try to open up the door, I don't give a fuck if you're a police officer, I think we did end up giving him a ticket, maybe we didn't, I don't really remember, but Officer Tony was aggro AF AF, he was like one of those guys that was just very um, bent on uh, following the law and just, you would have thought that this guy was like the most law-abiding citizen ever. And that's what, we, that's what we did think because ever since I met him, you know, he's always been a hard ass and he was probably in his like early thirties at, at that time. So anyway, we get split up that day. I go with the detectives. The detectives are solving some kind of drug case or murder case on Shelter Island and I'm there, and you know they're not talking to me. They literally just sit me down at a desk in a corner. They don't involve me at all in the process, and I just sit there for like three hours, and then they bring me back to the middle school. I just want to give a quick shout-out to those detectives. Um, Fuck you. You guys fucking suck. You guys aren't even that good at your job, and also that you guys could have had a detective. If you had treated me better, I would have maybe become a detective. So... It's your fault that the town sucks. Anyway, I'm not butthurt about it. So uh, going back to like your opinion as a kid, right? So Officer Tony, in my mind, was like the most law-abiding guy ever. I was really convinced that this guy was like, you know, the most, I mean, he was a hard ass, but I thought it was because he was like, he had like a a very strong um, compass, moral compass. So uh, maybe like, Four years later, five years later, my then girlfriend and I are at the beach one night. We drive up to the water. We're in my car and we're kissing. We're kissing, okay? The windows in my car are getting foggy, but we're literally just making out. Um, A car pulls up behind us and kind of parks diagonally behind the driver's side door and I immediately realized it's the police officer and the light is being shown onto my side of the car. And, you know, when I turn my head because he's like next, you know, the police officer is next to me. I see that it's officer Tony. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, oh, this is great. You know, it's officer Tony. I'm sure he'll remember me. Um, He did not. He was like, what are you guys doing? And we said, we're just, you know, hanging out. He's like, yeah, doing stupid stuff. I was like, no, just hanging out. He's like, yeah, you guys, what are you guys doing here? What are you guys doing here? It's late. It's nighttime. You guys doing stupid stuff here? I was like, nope, just hanging out. He just like would not stop. He's just like shining the flashlight into my eyes, into the car, looking around. I'm like, if you want, you can check my trunk. You can, you know. He's like, why would I want to check your trunk? What am I going to find? What am I going to find? I was like, you're not going to find anything. You can check my trunk. He's like, why do you want me to check your trunk? I was like, I'm just offering in case you want to see it. He's like, pop your trunk. So I pop my trunk. He doesn't find anything in it because there's nothing in it. Thank God. But, you know, he's just completely like ruined any vibe of wanting to like hang out and make out with my girlfriend at the beach. He kind of berates us and then he drives off. I was like, fuck you, Officer Tony. Fucking bastard. Cockblock. Anyway, I didn't say that. Anyway, um, so that was like the last memory that I have of seeing him in person was him literally interrogating me at the beach. I was like, go figure. Well, about three years after that, I read a news article that Officer Tony may have been having something sexually with a girl that was in my grade my graduating class so i just want to put this into perspective uh at the time that i went to career day with him i must have been 13 years old and he must have already been like maybe 30 maybe 31 maybe 32 okay so 17 years to 20 years older than us now at the age that I find this out, I'm probably 21 and he's probably 30, he's probably 42, 43, maybe 44. Turns out that he's having a sexual, having some sexual adventures with a girl that I graduated with and she was a housekeeper and they went to the property that she was a housekeeper for because the people that own the house were not there and they were having sex in that person's house and that person showed up and found them having sex and he tried to get out of it you know by saying i'm a police officer blah blah blah. and they were not fucking having it they called the police he got arrested i think got charged and uh got kicked off the force so i just want to just give a quick shout out to my boy officer tony you shouldn't have fucked with your boy you cock blocked me and then you got cock blocked (laughs) man i hope that i don't get in trouble for saying that but um he's not a police officer anymore and so that's like what it's like when you're like a kid right you have no idea you think that people are acting you think that everybody's a rational actor this is game theory 101, right? When you talk about political science, one of the main assumptions of game theory is that the, the actors are rational and so that they will make decisions that are based on, you know, past behaviors or, you know, expected normal behavior. Well, this guy was not a rational actor, and I just made the mistake of thinking that he was, and that like I was an idiot and or I was a delinquent when really he was just a dirty, 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 dirty cop trying to make me, trying to, try to C block his boy. But anyway, um, you get that a lot, I think, uh, with people in positions of power, you know, where they take advantage of that. So, uh, you know, if I had to think about what today's episode was, if I was just like, you know, summarizing it, I would say one half of this episode was me talking about uh, dating and why it's important to have open communication The other part is just me telling random fucking stories about my life and, uh, you know, blowing up Officer Tony's spot, which definitely deserves to have been blown up. But um, it's funny. I mean, you know, this is all part of the learning process. If anything, like with any of these stories, right, if you think about it, there are things that I've done and things that I've um, been able to reflect upon, and I just find so much value being able to, understand why I did something. You know, if I can just like conjure like enough empathy to remember how it felt to be in that position at that time, it really does help me, uh, you know, understand other people now and why they do the things that they do because we're all just human beings. We're all flawed. We just want to become better. Vers- a lot of us want to become better versions of ourselves. And a lot of us are working towards it. And, um, I think it's just really important. I mean, I, I, always drive this home uh, when I talk about this, but it's like with shame and and guilt, uh, one second, it's, it's nine o'clock. That's my alarm telling me that it's time to unwind and go to bed. But, um, you know, shame is just such a powerful drug. It's like a, it's a cocktail of negative emotion. And it's something that i don't think serves anybody. Like when you're younger and you have shame, I think it's like okay. Like when I was younger and I was doing things that I knew were not bringing me to the place that I wanted to be. Like when I was just like a stoner and constantly smoking weed, even though I knew that I, it was um, pulling me further away from the things that I wanted to do. It was good that I like held myself to a higher standard and that I like got to where I am. But I think shame, like so many other defense mechanisms that we have as human beings only serves us up to a certain point and then eventually becomes something that hinders us. So it's the same with like anger, right? You see a lot of people who are fueled by anger that they have about people in the past. They have a chip on their shoulder and they, you know, want people to know that they are better than, People thought that they were going to be, that they're doing better, that they're happier, that they're healthier. You see a lot of people that have glow-ups after high school, after college, after breakups, You know, um, b- because the anger serves us. It serves us. It gives us power. It helps us control outcomes over our lives. But eventually, once you do reach a certain level of success and you don't necessarily need to have a chip on your shoulder to create more success, or you don't need to have you know, shame um, making you feel a certain way because you actually are in a position where you should be like, uh, you you can take a little bit more comfort in your day-to-day life. Maybe you can take it a little bit easier, right? Or you can just take a little bit more pride knowing that you've made it to where you want it to go. Um, it doesn't serve you anymore and you just got, you have to like adjust and change your fuel sources when you can and 2023 20, for me i think it's all about changing the fuel source away from shame and guilt to patience appreciation love empathy self-respect and in using using moments of weakness and using moments where like i fall short of the mark as an opportunity to practice my forgiveness rather than you know a chance to beat myself up again Because, like, there's nothing worse than waiting for yourself. (laughs) Okay, this is going to sound stupid. There's nothing worse than waiting for yourself in the alley to beat yourself up. You know, like, so, you know, just waiting to mug yourself. Like, there's a part of you that encourages certain behavior, right? Like, when you're about to indulge in something that you know is not going to be positive for you, it's not going to make you feel good. There's a part of you that, like, leads you down the alleyway. It's like, oh, everything's going to be fine, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. I'm not going to beat myself up. And then the minute that you, you know, eat the ice cream or you do the you do the thing, you're waiting there to beat the shit out of yourself. You're like, "Ha ha, I caught you." It's like, "Well, yeah, this is you know, this is um what's the fucking word? Oh my god. I'm I'm losing my English these days. Uh when a cop Oh my gosh, this is such a common word. I wish I could edit this podcast and put the word in there so you guys would think that I had remembered it. Uh, I want to say infringement, but that's definitely not the word at all. It's like not even close. But yeah, it's like you can't be the... I guess like this was uh, Ray Bradbury that made this analogy. You can't be the fireman and and the arsonist, right? you need to, you need to take a side and you need to be consistent with yourself and be like some kind of, uh, have some kind of objective viewpoint. It's either every single time that this thing happens, I forgive myself or every single time that this thing, this thing happens, I don't forgive myself, but it can't be like, sometimes I forgive myself. Sometimes I don't forgive myself. I mean, I I really do believe you should forgive yourself for everything that you do wrong because otherwise it'll weigh on you. But, being inconsistent is even worse, I think, because it forces you to stop trusting yourself in a lot of ways, and um, you can't uh, you can't have a healthy relationship with yourself if you you know if you don't have if you don't set precedents and stick to them. It's the same with a relationship, you know. You have to stay somewhat consistent so the other person knows uh, the rules that you're playing by, and they they have an idea of you know what your boundaries are. Anyway, I don't want to bring this podcast uh, full circle and start talking about dating again. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to listen to this watch that was just telling me that it's my bedtime and I'm going to go meditate and go to sleep. And uh, I will think about officer Tony and, uh, and the justice that he was served. And I will laugh before I go to bed tonight. I go, "Ha, ha 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 ha. No, I'm just joking. I won't do that. I've done that enough. It's been like 10 years since that happened. I wonder what he's up to now. I hope he's happy. Anyway, you guys, thank you for tuning into this episode. If you made it to the end, I will eventually PayPal you five euros one day or five dollars. It depends on where you are. One day, not now, but one day. Anyway, thank you guys. It has been an absolute treat and uh, I hope you feel the same way. And I will catch you in the next one. Peace. Thank mm-hmm. you.